I wanted to do an intro in Spanish and remembered about 45 seconds into hitting record that I did not know enough Spanish to do that. <laughs> but I want also, you to know I thought about it. This is also a show in Brazilian Portuguese, Jeff. So I'm, were you just doing Spanish to like give it a fun flavor? I don't understand. Yeah, I was. <laughs> What's wrong with a fun flavor? Let me try my fun flavor. No Spanish required. In a world, in the deep future, two bros must watch shows. It is the year 2000. So that was my kind of fun. I liked it. Fun that thing was I way did. better. And there was that's no why Spanish. you do the. That's why you do the <laughs> intro, and I normally sit here in silence until you do the intro. You were supremely cavalier about doing the intro there, and I have the feeling in the edit, like that whole thing is just going to be gone. <laughs> <laughs> I get a strong feeling. Hey, listeners, what's up? It is Matt. That's the voice you're hearing right now. The other voice you're hearing is Jeff. We are the show bros digging through all the streaming services, trying to pick out those gems that maybe you'll want to watch or maybe you should steer clear of. Jeff, what are we bringing to the table this week? This week we're watching 3%. uh, Drama, kind of sci-fi, dystopian future, Brazilian Portuguese show uh, that we found on Netflix. Uh, Season one was from 2017. Season two came out a few months ago. And this is a show that I picked and asked Matt to watch the first episode of for discussion tonight. So I've seen all of it. Matt's only seen one episode. And uh, we'll, we'll jump in right there. Matt, what'd you think? I've watched that one episode about four times. And the reason why is I always know when I really like something. When I sit down with my notebook to take like very good film criticism notes on it. But halfway through, I just stop taking notes because I'm enjoying myself so much watching what's on the screen in front of me. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, man. It was an easy watch. It was an easy binge. It reminds me a lot of young adult fiction, like mm-hmm. books geared towards teenagers that yeah. are like, you pick it up, you crush it in a sitting, and you just feel like, oh, that was so much fun in this like futuristic world. So I had a great time, and I thought it was super accessible, even though it wasn't from a different country. So for me, I got those same feelings I got watching the first episode of Battlestar Galactica or watching the first episode of Lost, where you're just like, I'm in. This is so intriguing. They're pacing it out so well. Um, But it didn't leave me with a sort of bittersweet taste at the end where I was like, man, I can start seeing where this show is going to go way downhill. Like, it seems like it knows what it's about. Its tone's really consistent. The performances are killer. It looks really great. Man, I'm in. I'm all in. Like, this is ending up on my list. So those are my feelings about watching that that first step. I mean, for you, having watched the whole thing, though, and it's about 13 hours to get through the available material right mm-hmm. now on the 3%. Yep. What do you feel, Jeff? Are you still as emphatic on recommending this after having seen the whole thing versus, for me, just the first episode? I am. I uh, Actually, as I pulled up the Wikipedia page to to kind of get us ready with all of my names and like episode directors and stuff earlier, I was really pleased that they've already uh, okayed a season three. Cause I, I love this show um, all the way through season one and season two, which is typically where these shows tend to break down for me anyway, as a viewer is, is when they start to go into these multi seasonal arcs that maybe weren't planned from the beginning. Uh, even then this show continues to carry its weight for me. This show is also a really interesting kind of niche that I really really get down on which is looking at genre which is a convention that everybody understands because it came about kind of in this world of ubiquitous media but through the lens of another country's socioeconomic perspectives which is very much what this show is Uh, we've all seen dystopian 
dramas. We've all read them as young adults. We've all seen Lost or Battlestar Galactica or even Firefly is actually something that I thought about a lot when I was watching the the first episode the first time. Uh, And so we understand kind of how they're supposed to work and, and what those common tropes are, why the world has ended, why there is this group of people who have things and group of people who don't and kind of that tension but when you get to watch it through the perspective of another country, you you kind of get to explore things a little bit differently with those conventions. And that's something that I've been really into for a few years now, specifically, typically in kind of the Asian sect. But this show really kind of caught my attention when it dropped. So I'm still all in 13 hours later. I'm really excited for them to give me seven, seven or eight more. Now, I want to make something clear, though, Jeff, because we're yeah. both hypey on it. We're probably going to spend about the next 15 minutes being hyped on it. Yeah. I don't think the show is perfect. I don't think no. it's a, I don't think it's a great. I don't think it's in that upper echelon of, like, amazing artwork. But I think it's really good, and it's really fun. And that's yeah. where it's going to have its place for me. Yeah. Like, I really feel intrigued by, by getting after that next episode. I really feel intrigued by seeing what happens with the characters. But I do think, I mean, when you're making something sci-fi, and you mentioned genre, when you're making dystopian sci-fi, this is well-tread ground. <laughs> it's it's yeah. very well-tread ground. Um, if you're not familiar with any dystopian works, Jeff mentioned a couple. Um, you might be more familiar with something like Mad Max Fury Road in that series. That's a dystopian setting. And dystopian pretty much means that, you know, the world or civilization has crumbled and the characters we're looking at are picking up those pieces. And you also mentioned this is a show about haves and haves nots mm-hmm. So the premise of the show is in some undetermined future, 3% of the people either in the world or in Brazil, it's unclear, are sent to live in this idyllic utopian environment. And the rest of the 97% of the people live in squalor, pretty much. So it's this classic convention we've seen in every kind of movie, um, and even in American history. It's the haves versus the have-nots. And we're looking through the eyes of the have-nots for the most part. We're looking through people who are going through this selection process on their 20th birthday to become part of that 3% in a utopian world. So because I think the genre is so well-tread, and I think especially in, in written fiction, so many landmark works have been created in here, I don't know that the show could have pushed the envelope further or could have done anything transcendent just because so much has been done but i do think it does everything really really well so i had the terrible misfortune recently of watching battlefield earth which i think you've seen jeff it's not i have in a sentence it's john travolta playing an eight foot tall alien in dreadlocks that's all you have to know my dude it's (laughs) it's awful but it's also battlefield earth is a dystopian take on the future Mm -hmm. and a haves versus have nots tale and the thing is that movie does literally everything wrong like, it doesn't understand the conventions it's borrowing from. But 3% over here gets it so well, and I just want to pluck one of my favorite moments out. Usually with anything in science fiction or if we're looking at something speculative about the future, the hardest thing the, the storytellers have to do is introduce how technology has changed. That's really tough because not only do they have to imagine, well, what might technology look like? They also have to do it in a way that's practically achievable without like racking up a huge CGI budget or racking up a ridiculous props budget. Right. So in this show, one of the first pieces of technology we get to see is the protagonist, uh, Michelle, played by Bianca Comparato. Um, her ear lights up as if there's like a little red light behind her ear. 
Um, and we also hear on screen a very gentle voice coming through, giving an announcement, kind of like a GPS. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was so cool to use a diegetic or on-camera sound and a visual cue to let us know, like, oh, people have things in their ears. It's kind of like a PDA or a GPS. Cool. I'm in. I'm with it. And it was a really quick and really graceful way to introduce that technology. So for me, looking at it from the filmmaking perspective, I thought it was really fun watching them solve all those sci-fi problems in a really graceful, elegant way. And they do it like 10 times out of 10 in that first episode. Does that keep up as the series goes on, Jeff? Do they keep on finding like really graceful and elegant ways to introduce these concepts? They definitely do. And I think what's interesting when you talk about that is this is a Netflix production, and we've talked about that a few times, but they don't necessarily have budget constraints like a, a traditional television pilot would. They they were signed on by Netflix before they went to production. It was a massive undertaking for Netflix to make this show. They had money to, to do things with that CGI, with that props budget, and they were still very graceful. And that does continue. Um, there are a couple of things I can think of in the third episode uh, involving uh, dark corridors and, and kind of booby traps uh, that are reminiscent for me in how they kind of introduce these technological advances that aren't something that we would necessarily think of in our world. And I always love making sure when I'm watching something and, and when we're getting ready to talk about it, that those things aren't simultaneously just explained by another character. That's always kind of that cheap cop out, right? Is that Oh, it's so annoying. It's like, the, <laughs> it's like the, and it, James Bond, I think does it well because it's a yeah. trope of the films, but in every James Bond movie, you see the new bond prop or like the right. new bond piece of tech Q explains it. Bond uses it. And yes. then you as an audience are like, cool, this is exactly how this works. So yes. for the rest of the movie, you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen. And this movie, they assume, I don't know if they're assuming higher audience intelligence necessarily, but they are assuming the audience is going to catch on without someone like an exposition character being around being like, here's exactly how the earpiece works or right. here's exactly how this piece of tech works. And that's really delightful when a show doesn't have to smack you over the head with all this cool new stuff that's happening. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely continues on that way. It's very smart filmmaking. It's smart writing. The kind of central engine of the show, of course, is that there are people who are trying to make it to the offshore, which is the the kind of utopia that the 3% live in, that are part of this kind of splinter cell terrorist slash activist group depending on what side of the have or have not you're on and they are trying to fool the test to make it through to the to the offshore and that that kind of continues through the narrative is you know it's it's all about who are you rooting for and what side you're on and one of the interesting things about the show is that it's not very clear all the way you know for most of the series a who is good and who is bad and b who is on which side which is always something that I think these dystopian shows try to drive with and it's very rarely done in in a way that at least keeps me captivated for a long time probably you as well Matt is my guess because of how much TV we've watched Um, this show really does a good job of keeping that going uh, and keeping that trajectory kind of at the forefront but also filling in background details and, and world building in a way that by the time it's all revealed you understand why decisions and choices were made that also seem out of place for the world we live in, which is that other difficult thing to do is explaining and getting people to come on board with these acts that we find to be 
outside of morality and outside of things that we personally would do but still identify with a protagonist we get that here and that's a really cool thing definitely i think with that playing with moral ambiguity that's one of my favorite parts about really good science fiction is it gives us a lens like a comfortable zero stakes lens through which to view people's actions and make decisions right so i mean in the world right now, a really big piece of rhetoric in the news, if you're following it, at least for the last decade, has been, you know, 1% of the, you know, world's population holds a vast majority of the wealth of the world. That's a big, heavy, conflicting thought, you know? And even being an American citizen, you know, how much relativistically, how much more wealth we have than the rest of the world is like heavy and hard to think about. But when you get an environment like this that's so clearly disconnected from the world we're in or that is fantastical or speculative, it gives us a space to kind of explore those feelings and those emotions and those things without having to directly engage with them. So when you're watching really good, at least for me, when I'm watching really good sci-fi, there is that ambiguity. There are characters making decisions. And then we get to understand why they made those decisions via visual storytelling. There's a really great moment in episode one where the lead character, Michelle Santana, um, has to make this really tough decision. And in the moment, she's fraught with all these emotions. And then you find out later on in the episode via some really, the work keeps coming up for me, elegant editing, that she actually wasn't feeling any of those emotions at all in, <laughs> in that moment. And it's so delightful to kind of have your, your mind twisted because what I was anticipating was the have-nots were going to be righteous or just, or they were going to deserve, you know, everything the haves had. Right. You know, the, the, the downtrodden underdog needs to come and overtake the, you know, the, the top dog on top of the hill. In this occasion, though, you're like, wait, I'm actually not, I'm really not sure. And that makes the principal question I'm going to be asking about 3% and about these characters, that the whole thing is, well, what is everyone's true motivation? It's not necessarily like, what the hell's going on with Utopia, or what's the mystery of the smoke monster? I'm still bitter about that, clearly. Who isn't? <laughs> still bitter about that. But the question is, how are these people going to deal with this really unusual circumstance that we have really not a lot of proxy for here in the developed Western world? Um, so yeah, I'm lockstep with you that I really like that part of this show. Um, a movie it reminds me of quite a bit of is Children of Men that plays with sort of similar similar things in that space. Uh, but this is like my favorite little bits of the world telling in Children of Men, like just plucked out of that and dropped into Brazil right. with some really, really talented performers. Just really fun. Yeah, I think what, what you're getting at there is kind of that interesting thing that happens when you take these tropes and take them a little bit outside of the the Americanized experience of exceptionalism that that kind of pervades our media we we don't have these perfect moral compasses and we don't have these perfectly moral archetypes to root for because there's just a little bit of a different understanding of storytelling when you get into these other cultures and that that to me is what I find interesting we, we get it several times in episode one. We get it during the block challenge. Uh, specifically, you know, I think if we were to rewrite that, there's a scene where basically as part of the test, you take these complex shapes that are made out of wood blocks and you have to create cubes. You know, if we were to, to script that and write that as American television, I think it would play out much differently than Michelle, who can only make eight, basically getting aided by another character 
who puts together blocks for both of them to kind of pass them through the test. And I think that's that's just something that wouldn't necessarily happen on on an American written show because what they're trying to set up in most American shows that are dystopic like this is that your protagonist really deserves to to be wherever they want to go, that they are the best and the smartest and the brightest, and they're just, you know, they've fallen on these poor circumstances or something's happened to them that makes them that underdog but it's never something that a group has to aid in and I think that's one of those just interesting tweaks that you end up seeing when you really start looking at these shows differently yeah you also see what I assume the show is setting up as our main antagonist but I say it that way because you also get to see layers in the antagonist's decisions or the the character who's leading this process, the selection process that that plucks 3% and puts them over to Utopia. Even this character is morally gray. And a nice little thing I think they do to to bridge uh, the protagonist character and the what is presumptively an antagonist character named Ezekiel, a really good performance too by a guy named Joel Miguel. Yes. In that that part. his technology is constantly like breaking around the fritz like he's constantly making mistakes too or he's doing these really atypical decisions that seem to defy logic but then rather than have him explain those things right in the moment the technological fritz or whatever they let you wait for a little while till you get a scene that contextualizes the action or until you get a scene that that lets you know that even this perfect utopia is clearly imperfect and because they're patient with that because they're not giving you the reveal right as they're you know, showing you this this depth or this layering, to me is great for this kind of storytelling. I think this is where in a different medium, it might be a little bit fraught or it might be a little bit confusing. But within this genre, if you already like this sci-fiction, sci-fantasy genre, if Star Wars can feel compelling to you, we're not going to get into the whole backstory there. But <laughs> if that kind of thing already feels compelling to you, then I think this is definitely one you should check out, at least give an episode try. And let me be clear on something. I think it's actually our next talking point. You got to watch it with subtitles in the original Portuguese, not dubbed. Are you with me on this, Jeffrey? I am. I had the unfortunate uh, experience of watching it dubbed the first time, and I definitely did not like it nearly as much. And also, in general, and this is not necessarily a soapbox either of us want to get on, but when, when you dub out that performance, you don't necessarily hear the emotion in the voice the right way. And in this show in particular, because of some of the things that Matt has talked about where they play a little bit with your understanding of what the characters are feeling, it's super important that you just give it a shot, you read those subtitles, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, we definitely don't want to get onto soapboxing about this because, oh boy. yeah. But I want to break down as well as we can, why for us, you know, the subtitle experience is superior to the dubbed experience and like clear empirical goals because you hear all the time on the yeah. internet, on any forum, anyone on it, subs not dubs or dubs mm-hmm. not subs. It's a, it's a common debate. So for me, we watched the first five minutes or so and with dubbed, we actually didn't know. That was the Netflix default was to play it in, with an English dub. That's how it happened to me. Yeah, it's just the default. And it was a little uncanny for me. Like, you see their mouths moving, but it doesn't quite match up to the words, so that was already a little bit disorienting to me. And the other thing was the audio has to be mixed subtly differently when you do something like that. Uh, it, it feels a little bit more like a cartoon where they're adding in the sound effects and the sort of ambient space sounds, which are really well done on this show. The ambient space is really great and very lived in. Uh, 
they have to do a little bit of tweaking on that. And you actually have to change the words a little bit to try and make the, the voice actors who are speaking English more sync up with the actual actors who are playing the, who are saying the Brazilian Portuguese. So it was just really disorienting there. Um, I like subtitles too, because I grew up reading them. Um, we watched a lot of foreign stuff in my household, so I'm already accustomed to it. But I get that hesitation about like, man, I can't do subtitles because I just can't read it really quick and look up. Um, something I want the audience to consider, though, if you are on that fence of, man, I don't really like watching foreign stuff because of subtitles. There is so much really great content being produced, not in English-speaking countries right now. And your only barrier to entry is learning to watch things with subtitles, which debatably only takes a few episodes of something or a movie or two. Would you agree with that, Jeff? I would. I, I think that I did not grow up with that experience that you had. I watched a lot of American television as a kid. I was raised on Nickelodeon and Nicktoons and the Disney Channel in a way that anime and, and other foreign content didn't really kind of come into my realm until I was much older, high school level. Um, and then, you know, it started with foreign films from Europe and, and slowly spread to Asia. But in general, I, I think it's worth it for a number of reasons. The first is that we live... We live in a time where it is finally as easy for you to watch something made outside of your country as it is to watch something made inside of your country. And that's a really, really powerful thing when we talk about shared experience and when we talk about just the ability to watch a different perspective in a, in a way that's really cool. And it doesn't have to be documentary or news. It can really just be another show made in the genre that you like, whether that's a show about ice skaters and you're watching Yuri on Ice or a dystopian have and have not tale made in Brazilian Portuguese nobody's ever had this kind of privilege that we get to just turn on Netflix and check this stuff out and in my experience it really does only take 42 minutes to get in the swing of just reading the dialogue and then you don't even notice it mm, and I, I just think it's perfect yeah. here's the other strange. thing for you if you enjoy watching tv with chips you should just have subtitles on anyway because you're gonna miss half of it so grab yourself a bag of chips there's a sort of crunch threshold munch you know, away you're, you're eating a frito you're eating a dorito something with a little bit of body to it you're not hearing what they're saying anyways no. let's get real and you, you don't want you don't want yourself. lays this is a tostitos moment so go <laughs> get yourself a thick chip a, a robust chip is sponsored by Showbros. Make sure you have a robust chip while you watch things. Uh, last little thing I want to talk about when it comes to subs versus dubs. Watching international content is particularly exciting for me as someone who watches a lot of things. Because if you're watching a lot of stuff just made by Americans or just made by British people, you know, our lived experience varies wildly. That's the first thing I'll admit. Um, you know, whether or not you grew up in the American South or you know, New York or the West Coast, whatever, it varies a lot, but most of us get really similar media education growing up in these places. And because of that media expectation, we come to expect the certain things, same things done over and over again in the same way, even though there's a wide variety of Western media to enjoy, that's English speaking. When you get something like 3%, that's from a place, you know, Brazil, that as far as I know, doesn't have an abundance of American influence. They tell the stories in these subtly different ways, and the acting is subtly different, and the way in which they engage with the storytelling and even the visuals and the colors is, is different in a really entrancing and intriguing way. 
So if you're on the fence about watching something just because it's from a different place, I think you got to give it a shot because you're going to find out some stuff you would have never known you would have liked. I mean, the colors in this show, the colors and a lot of Brazilian photography and, I mean, shit, the travel channel <laughs> when yeah. we go to Brazil are just so different than what we experience here. And it's a really awesome way to sort of get introduced to that in a safe space of your living room to just, like, check this out. So I want to make a plea for it like that. But you mentioned anime a second ago, Jeff. I think mm -hmm. if you like anime, if you like sci-fi anime, this show should be on your list, too. It's a live-action one that does a lot of the same kind of hokey, kind of heavy-handed, but really, really nice, fun, consumable storytelling that you get from a lot of those. So... I think if you're looking for something pin drop serious, we just did an episode about sharper objects. That might be more your thing. But as we're cruising into winter, if you're looking for a cuddle up and binge and have a fun afternoon show, I think you got to do 3%. What would be your sort of tidy up elevator pitch for 3%, Jeff? I think you're spot on with all the things that you kind of look to and think about as precursors to what you would enjoy by this show. I'm going to go the other direction. When you watch 3%, if this is something that you really, really like, uh, City of God is a, mm, a movie killer. that I know is very close to my heart and I think is close to yours, Matt. Yeah, for sure. Also on Netflix, also Brazilian, also worth your time. So you know what it kind of looks like to in your interest bracket if this is a show for you, but if this is your first introduction to Brazilian or Central or South American media and you want a little bit more afterwards... Go ahead and give that a taste. If you like the idea of Brazilian Portuguese, but maybe don't like sci-fi, that's more of a historical, almost a documentary uh, of what it's like to grow up in the slums of Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. And so I'll just throw that one out there too, because we're talking about Brazilian media. It does a lot of the same things with story. It does a lot of the same things with really elegantly introducing character arcs and even technology as it changes through the eras. So I'll just throw that one out there. If all of this sounds good, but you're not really into sci-fi, give that a shot. It's also on Netflix. Hell yeah. Uh, there's a scene in this first episode, if you check it out after listening, where one of the gentlemen uh, dunks his head underwater uh, that's so captivating. If you're captivated by that scene too and the scenes that precede it, tweet us at Sherbros Podcast. Um, if you're interested in recommending a show for us to check out, I think next week we're going all the way to Germany for Dark, which is spooky. Right, Jeff? An October spooktacular? Happy Halloween. Oh, no. I'm going to get scared again. Um, you can always email us at showbrospodcast at, at gmail.com in order to reach out to us. But that's all I got, Jeff. Thank you to Drake Stafford for the use of his song, Cassettes. Uh, via the free music archive. We will catch you guys next week. Bye.